This shiur is dedicated in loving memory of Fege Bat Rivka and Aharon Vasara Kotla. The concealment of the Kabbalah and its revelation in our generation. I remember when I still lived in my parents' house in London. My father, who was a religious man, taught us that it was forbidden to learn Kabbalah. However, Rabbi Ashlag, in his great introduction, the Panim Mi'irot Masbirot, writes, The general opinion held is that the four parts of the Torah, known as the Peshat, which is the written Torah, the Remez, from which we derive the Halachot, the Drash, the Midrash, and the Sod, the Kabbalah, should be learned in that order, Pshat, then Remez, then Drash, and finally the Sod. However, the great sage, the Geon of Vilna, taught, the beginning of our attainment in Torah begins with the Sod, the Kabbalah, the innermost aspect of the Torah, and only when we've attained that part of the Torah, which is the Sod, is it possible to attain the part which is the Drash, and subsequently the part which is the Remez. And only when we've merited to be complete in these three parts of Torah, then we may merit to attain the Pshat. That's very interesting. The Geon of Vilna, who was a great Mukubal, it's tr he was also a Mitnaged, he didn't like the Hasidic movement, but he was a great Kabbalist though. He actually says that the beginning of our attainment in Torah actually begins with the Kabbalah, which is the opposite to what everybody does, which is we learn the Pshat, Remez, Drash, and Sod. So how do we combine these two approaches together? Now, in order to understand this, we need to look at the word that the Gelner Vilna uses. He uses the term Hasaga. This word means attainment in Torah. So he's not talking about intellectual understanding, but he's talking about a direct connection with God, actually receiving the light of the Torah. There is light in Torah, and this light in the Torah shows us our own disabilities. It shows us our own, our own dirt, basically. And it's only when we can see what we need to correct that can we actually correct it. So this light in the Torah which we gain from the Kabbalah is meant to show us where we're not okay, all right? And then we can deal with it because if we can't see it, we can't deal with it. And thus it can lead us to become closer with the Creator as we desire, it awakens that desire to become more in affinity form with Him. And eventually we can come to Dvekut, which is given to us through the practice of the Torah. Dvekut is actual unity with the Creator. Indeed, the Zohar teaches us, The Torah, the Holy Blessed One, and Israel are one. Now, Rav Ashtag asks in the beginning of his What is this dirt? What is this density that we have within us that we need to look at and we need to correct? From the nature of our creation, we have within us the will to receive. This is the vessel that God planted within all created beings, including in each one of us. And why did he give it to us? 
It's so that we will be able to receive all the goodness that he wants to give created beings in his thought of creation. However, as long as we remain in our primal state as receivers, we cannot come to affinity of form with him. And so we remain separate from him. Only when we're in Dvekut with him, or at least can come closer to him in affinity of form, can there be a connection between ourselves and God. And it's only in this way we can actually get the light that he wants to give us in actual practice. Okay, we can't receive that light if there is no connection. So how do we come connected? We actually have to be in affinity of form. Now, what does affinity of form mean? It means that just as God is gracious and giving, we have to be gracious and giving too. To the best of our ability. How does the sod of the Torah, how does the Kabbalah help us achieve this? Why does it, is the sod better at achieving this, better at helping us with this than the rest of the Torah? Now, the answer is, is that the sod of the Torah deals with intentions. I don't mean sophisticated, complicated kavanot, you know, which some people associate with the Kabbalah, different arrangements of the name of God. I mean, simply, why we do what we do. All right? Why we think what we think. What is my intention? in any action or any speech or any thought. Why we do what we do. Because it's only when we really begin to understand why we're doing what we're doing, can we begin to say, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it in order to become closer to God. I don't want to do it just to satisfy myself. I want to do it in order to become closer to God. Because any action can actually be taken in different ways. We have Torah Shelo Lishma and Torah Lishma. We have Torah which is done not for its own sake and exactly the same Torah can be practiced for God's sake. Okay, so any action can be looked at from these different perspectives. How, why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's the Sod, it's the intention behind the action which actually helps us see that. So, since the Sod, the Kabbalah, is concerned entirely with the reason for the mitzvot, the reason why our forefathers acted in the precise way they did, and the intentions behind the Creator's act, we can learn about our intentions by learning about theirs. And we can see that our intentions in our own actions matter and have great effect on outcomes. Actually, they probably have the greatest effect on the outcome of all. Let's take an example. In the Pshat, in the written Torah, we learn the story of Jacob and Esau. On the surface, in the Pshat, quite honestly, Jacob's behavior seems to be quite reprehensible, stealing blessings by deceiving a blind father. It's not exactly the sort of behavior we would welcome in our own children. So how can we relate to our father Jacob? How can we copy from his actions? It doesn't seem right. But when we learn the sod on this whole aspect, aspect, when we learn the Kabbalah on this whole episode, we discover that Jacob's intentions were actually pure. He was involved in doing a tikkun, not only for his own vessels, 
but also for Esau's vessels. He was doing it, he called not only for Israel, but for the whole world. We learn that in his actions, Jacob was involved in bringing the whole world to be in connection with God. So the sword shows us what is actually hidden. And what is hidden is intentions. And that's why it's called sod, which means mystery. Because it reveals what is actually hidden. So we see that it really is necessary for us to learn Kabbalah in order to be able to learn and practice the Torah and Mitzvot properly so we can fulfill our work here on earth and this will enable us to come to Dvekut with the Creator. Now, the question of why this great wisdom was concealed from us for so many generations becomes quite a burning one. The sages of the Talmud stated in Masachet Hagiga, we do not teach the Masay Bereshit amongst two, or the Masay Merkava to one alone. In other words, until the coming of Rabbi Ashlag, this wisdom was sealed and closed to the general community. There were great sages, such as the Ramchal, the Baal Shem Tov, the Geon of Vilna, and, so, and others also, who God had called to him, and who could understand this crucial Torah, because they were so pure, that from their own consciousness, they could understand the roots of spiritual entities. And thus this wisdom was in fact handed down from sage to disciple right through the ages from Moshe Rabbeinu in an individual fashion. But as we've seen, this knowledge is crucial for all of us. Why was it therefore withheld from us, from the general community, when ignorance of it must mean that we're going to find it difficult to come to Dvekut with God? When we ask this question in this terms, Rabbi Ashlag says it even looks like a criminal act. For example, we've had history, uh, the wicked king Ahaz in the Book of Kings closed the Batei Midrash, houses of learning, and stopped the people learning Torah. For this, he was considered to be the worst king. Rabbi Ashlag continues, it seems to us to be a mystery. Why was this wisdom hidden from us? When we look at this, we see that in previous generations, this concealment did not just apply to the Kabbalah, but it also applied to external wisdoms. As we know, women were not admitted to universities until the beginning of the 20th century, for example. Much earlier than that, the general people did not have access to external wisdoms. Now, Rabbi Moshe Butchel, a Kabbalist, wrote an explanation to the Sefer Yitzirah, and in his introduction, he wrote, Plato cautioned his students, saying, do not hand this wisdom to someone who cannot value it. Likewise, Aristotle warned, do not hand on this wisdom to somebody who's not fit for it, lest they destroy it. As Rabbi Butchel explained, if the sage teaches wisdom to somebody who's not fit for it, he's liable to trample the wisdom and destroy it. In our modern days, the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction. Everybody who deals with external wisdoms, you know, maths, physics, technology, 
makes huge efforts to broaden the gates for the general community without any borders or preconditions. But what do we see? Increase in knowledge, per se, does not necessarily lead to an increase in human happiness and prosperity. We have seen the downside. It often leads us into areas of destruction, of ecological devastation, of inequality. Why is this the case? Our physical reality and our spiritual reality is divided into the four main categories, the inanimate, the plant, the animal, and the human. Rabbi Asher goes on to explain in his introduction to the Panimirot Masbirot, the human being is able to contemplate all creatures wherever they are throughout our existence. Likewise, he's able to contemplate past times and futures of generations. We therefore find that the ability of one individual member of the human species is equivalent to all the plant and animal species that exist, both in our present time and in past generations. His power encompasses them and includes all their powers together within himself. But it is known that the power of giving benefit and the power of being able to do damage arise equally. To the same extent that a person can be of benefit, it's equivalent to the extent of the damage a person can cause. Therefore, since the power of one individual person is greater than the power of all the animals of all the generations put together, so is his or her power to do damage greater than that of all of them together. So long as a human being is not fit for his high purpose, that means he will only use his power in order to give benefit. He needs tremendous guarding so that he will not acquire a greater measure of wisdom than is the measure of his or her virtue. It was for this reason that the first sages hid even external wisdom from the general community because of the fear of giving it to students who were not scrupulous in their moral behavior and who might use the power of their knowledge for evil and to do damage. Students who might burst moral boundaries with their material appetites and their unrestrained bestiality and use the huge power of man to destroy our human habitation. And actually, we've seen it. We saw it in the 20th century with the bombs on Hiroshima. And in the 21st century, look at the ecological devastation that we're just living with. Rabasha continues, but since the generations have lessened, but since the generations have lessened in their morality, those who are learned started to desire both tables. That is, not only do they desire knowledge, but they also want the good life in the material sense. They've sold the wisdom for a harlot's fee and the price of a dog. Since then, the fortified wall that the first sages placed around the wisdom has been destroyed and the multitude, even the bandits, has trampled it for themselves. They filled their hands with the power of people grasping wisdom and tearing it to bits. Half of it has been inherited by the adulterers and half of it by the murderers and have placed it for an everlasting shame and reproach unto this day. 
Well, if you think those words are exaggerated, when you think about the fact that the Holocaust could only have happened because of the industrialization of Germany, without the vast system of railways, it could not have taken place in the way it did. If you realize it was the production, the technological production of gas manufactured to kill other people, it could not have taken place in the way it did. So this statement that he makes, that Rabbi Ashag makes, is not as far-fetched as it, when you first read it. So how did this come about? Because the wise men lessened in their moral stature, desiring not only knowledge, but also the material life. The problem worsens when we consider the inner wisdom of the Torah, the Kabbalah. For in this wisdom, all external wisdoms are included. It is through this wisdom that the human species can come to its wholeness and actualize the purpose for which we were created. According to the scripture, I created the day and night. I placed the ordinances of heaven and earth. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 25. At this time, when the Kabbalah is becoming known widely and generally, this is the time when the footsteps of Mashiach can be heard. Indeed, it is brought in the Zohar that it is in the time of the footsteps of Mashiach that this wisdom will be revealed even to the youngest. It would seem to logically follow from what we've said that the entire generation of the footsteps of Mashiach therefore needs to be of such a high spiritual level that we would not need any guarding so that the fountains of wisdom may be opened for all the nation to drink from. However, in two places in the Talmud, the tractate Sotah 49 and in Sanhedrin 97a, the sages have said, in the generation of the footsteps of Mashiach, the chutzpah will grow, the cost of living will greatly increase, the vine will give off its fruit, but the wine will be expensive. The government will be concerned with sexual matters. There will be nobody to reprove. Even the house of the sages will be a house for whores. The Galilee will be destroyed. The Golan will be desolate. And men of the border will wander from city to city, but no one will have mercy on them. The wisdom of the sages will stink. Those who fear sin will be despised and truth will be lacking from life. Young men will shame the elderly and the elderly will give respect to the young. A son who will despise his father, a daughter will rise up against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The members of a person's household will be his enemies. The face of the generation will be as the face of a dog. A son will not be ashamed before his father. On whom can we rely on? Only on our father who is in heaven. Well, that was stated, I guess, about 2,000 years ago. And although, Baruch Hashem, we don't recognize every aspect of that in our generation, there's an awful lot of it. I mean, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that inaccurate. Um, so there we go. That's what they said would be at the time of Mashiach. Rabbi Asher continues, it is explicit that there never was such a generation as this for evil. How can we uphold both these statements then? That of the Zohar, that it's at this time of the footsteps of Mashiach 
that the wisdom will be revealed even to the youngest, and the fact that the generation of Mashiach is going to look like that. Certainly both of these are the words of the living God. And it is, in fact, as we see in our generation, whose description is quite accurately described here, that the gateway of the Kabbalah has been opened. How can we explain this? The reason for the excessive guarding and the locking of the door of the Temple of Wisdom was from the fear of people who desired both the wisdom of the Torah and the desire for material reward and honor together. But now that here we are, in a generation which has the face of a dog, that is, it barks like a dog, have, have, give, give. Well, yes, that is in the generation of the me, of the selfishness, of the selfie, of the I want. This is the generation which despises those who fear sin and for whom the wisdom of the sages stinks, we can widen the gates of the wisdom and remove excessive guarding because in this situation it's actually safe from extortion and misuse. How can that be? There is no longer any fear, he says, that an unscrupulous student would take the wisdom to sell it in the marketplace to gain material or emotional goods because there are no buyers. And since there is no hope of getting satisfaction from one's appetites or of gaining honour through it, it is automatically safe and guarded. Only those who love the wisdom and have steadfastness will, steadfastness will want it. And this is the reason why every stringent requirement has been removed for those who enter it until even those who are young of days can merit it. Okay? Now, actually, I have found... That, in general, that's true. The materials I've been putting out, the, the books I've been putting out, are desired by people who really want them from a true and honest place. It's an amazing thing how Rabbi Ashlag saw all this so clearly. Only those who love the wisdom and have steadfastness will want it. And therefore... Every stringent requirement has been removed for those who enter it until even those who are young of days can merit it. Rabbi Asher continues, Why is it written in the Zohar that it is this composition that will deliver the children of Israel from exile? Likewise, it's written in other places in the holy books that only when the wisdom of Kabbalah is widely known among the people will we merit the full redemption. Our sages have said, it is the light that is in the Torah that will bring a person back to the good way. They made this statement with great precision and intention, informing us that it is only the illumination in the innermost aspects of the Torah that can bring a person to the good way. The way of connection with God, the way of giving, just as he is giving so we can be giving too the way of wanting to give, of wanting to give benefit, of wanting change, of getting away from the selfishness, of getting away from the me and becoming instead the us and caring about the you. It is the innermost aspects of the Torah that can bring a person to this. This is analogous to the orange in the proverb, a word fitly spoken is like an orange on a silver plated tray. 
The peel is thrown away and all its goodness is contained in its innermost aspect. It is this innermost aspect that has the virtue of bringing a person back to the good way. Neither an individual nor a nation can accomplish the purpose for which they were created except through the attainment of the innermost aspect of the Torah and its inner meanings. Even though the complete perfection of knowledge will come to us only with the advent of Mashiach, nevertheless it is written, God grants wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who know understanding. We have to learn in order to know what we want. It is when we learn Kabbalah that we begin to waken up within ourselves the desire to come closer to God. And it is the person who wants to come closer to God is called wise, even if he has not yet achieved wisdom. One who wants to come closer to God is called knowledgeable, even though he has not yet attained full understanding. So it's the requirement to actually want the right things that we gain through our learning of Kabbalah. And so as a requirement, prior to the coming of Mashiach, we need the widespread propagation of the innermost wisdom of the Torah throughout the community so we will be fit to receive the benefits that the Mashiach, our righteous one, will bring us. And thus we see that the widespread dissemination of the wisdom and the coming of Mashiach are dependent on each other. Understand this deeply. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahorah School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahorah School online. Details at www.nahorahschool.com or www.nahorahpress.com.